I have this as lesson number three, and this is the third time, uh, but they're scattered because we've had so much going on uh, during the summer with our mega sports camp, which is our, vol our, our VBS thing. And then we opened the building. We had a, a new uh, thing we did last week. We, uh, we had, you know, uh, opening, cutting, ribbon cutting for the new building and such. But here we're back to it, part three on eight things to remember uh, during tough times. How many know tough times are part of living on planet Earth? Yes or no? How many have had a tough time or two? Well, uh, this is not a negative, but the truth is you'll have some more because, you know, I, we're living on a fallen planet. So uh, anyway, uh, it I'm talking about this because, you know, the truth is before Jesus comes, that, that is particularly a difficult time. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 24 uh, that, that if that time just prior to his coming uh, was not shortened, no no person could survive it. It's going to be that difficult. So challenging times are coming. The good news is we have God. He has our back. And I love that scripture we sang when I was in the church as a little boy underneath us of everlasting arms. Aren't you glad God's promised to take care of us regardless of what we face? So uh, one thing I've clung to, clung to all my life, Philippians 1.6, my life as a believer, is uh, Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Don't you like that? And then Psalm 138, verse 8, uh, New King James says, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Just the first part of that verse. The New Living says, the Lord will work out his plans for my life. How many believe God's big enough to work out a plan for you? And let me just tell you something about the Lord is that we can sometimes mess up his plan. You ever done that? I've tried and, and, and succeeded many times, but you know what I found out? God is faithful to get your foot out of the mud and to get you out of the hard place and get you back on the path that he's got for your life. So even if you feel like you've messed up and, 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 and how you go ever straightening out, God can straighten out your messes. Is that good news? So when I think about these scriptures, I think about those kinds of things. And then, uh, and then Proverbs 4.18 says this, the path of the just is just like the shining sun that shines even brighter until that perfect day. New Living says it this way, the way of the righteous is like the first gleam. I don't, I'm sorry, these are not in my notes, brother. I didn't even tell you, did I? <laughs> the way of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, which shines even brighter until the full light of day. So, you know, you know, the sun gets brighter, it gets hotter during the day, particularly in July. Well, that's the way our lives are. Um, the, the further you go in God, the more, the, the, the more clearly you can hear his voice, the more you understand and can, can discern his purposes for you. At the beginning of your walk with God, you know, it, it may seem like, well, what am I doing and what is my life about? What am, I, what am I supposed to be pursuing? What's my passion? You may not know those things. If you'll just get your nose in the book, get in the word, and just say, God, help me and pray and develop your prayer life. Uh, 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 how many know local church is probably more important now than ever and least attended now than ever in America? Do you realize that? That's the terrible stat. So if you're watching online, there's big value in coming and being a part of a local fellowship or wherever you are. If you're watching from another state, find a church that preaches the word. We love you watching here, but you need to physically plant yourself with a body of believers because, uh, you know, if something happens to in the internet, what are you going to do? And when there's a need in your family, a need in your marriage, a need with your children, et cetera, et cetera, who's going to be there for you and with you? That's why we have pastors. That's why we have local churches. And that's, we, that's why God set us in a family called the body of Christ that is not disjointed, disconnected, right? Well, anyway, I thought that was good preaching anyway. So anyway, come and be a part of it. Um, so uh, this is lesson three on eight things to remember about the hard places in life. The first, um, the first point we've gotten, I'm, I'm going to get to number three. This is also online. My notes are always at victorychurchraleigh.com, easily accessible. But you got to filter through the notes. The notes are long, and I'm about, meh, about a quarter of the way through them. 
So um, I'm on point, I'll be on point number three tonight. The first point was we're not immune from difficulties and hardships. And I mentioned this when I started this series. It, it, here's what people need to understand. You know, Jesus experienced two kinds of suffer, suffering. He experienced um, substitutional sufferings. Everybody says the big word, substitutional. What's the root word, substitute? Jesus was our substitute in sin, right? Uh, Jesus also on my podcasts, which I which I broadcast on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I'm going through a series on healing. Jesus actually not only became our sin, but Jesus also became our illnesses. And the same faith that saves us is the same faith that heals us. Is that good news? But see, that's his substitutionary work. We don't need to walk around in condemnation, inferiority, feeling like we're a failure and, and remembering all of our past misdeeds because Jesus has cleansed us from condemnation. There's therefore now no condemnation. Is that good news? So we don't need to experience what Jesus experienced in our place substitutionally. We don't need to experience walking in sin because Jesus became our sin and wants to remove it from us. Uh, and in the same way, he wants us to walk in physical health. Our body is simply a temple that we live in so we can pursue the will of God uh, and be on this planet. Our body is our earth suit. Without it, you can't do anything here. You got to go somewhere else. So he wants it to be healthy and strong. So substitutionally, Jesus took our illnesses and diseases and you can trust God for the healing of your body. Is that good news? See, those are substitution. We call that the substitutional sufferings of Christ. And what Jesus substituted for us, we need not bear ourselves, right? However, Jesus also experienced circumstantial suffering. And, and that is something that we are not immune from. And I'll get into that uh, toward the latter part of what we shared tonight. Uh, but anyway, again, and I've shared that one time, but uh, just understand that uh, our character, uh, point number two here. Uh, is before we get to point three, our journey through life is often filled with hard places, and that's obviously true. Um, but our character is formed by us going through the challenges of life, and the key is putting the word of God into practice while you're in the middle of the hard place. If you don't put the word into practice, you can get sour, bitter, and nobody wants to talk to you because you're full of uh, you're full of venom, and so right. Um, but 1 Peter 5.10 is so insightful. It says, But after you suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called us to his eternal glory through Christ Jesus will... Sus I love these, these words. After you suffered a little while, he will restore. Everybody say restore. That means, that means you get something back, right? Restore support. That means you're having a hard time. Uh, you feel somebody undergirding you. You ever, you ever felt so tired that somebody needed to help you along, maybe grab you by the shoulders and walk beside you? Support, strengthen, and then establish. You uh, Amplified of that verse says, After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who imparts all blessing and favor, who has called you to his own eternal glory in Christ Jesus, will himself complete you. Now watch this, and make you what you ought to be. Is that good? Ah. Establish, ground you securely, strengthen, and settle you. So here's the issue, you know, we, and I shared this last time, which I think was June 28th. Um, we come to Jesus with uh, the habit of making our own way in the various areas of life, don't we? And, and, and then the challenge is when you come to Jesus and lay your life at his feet, and you become a new creature in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit enters us. But the challenge is we, we, wanna, we wanna walk into the new life with the same habit patterns that carried us in our old life. And that's what God wants to change. See, I was the center of my old life. Jesus wants to become the center of my new life. So, so my new life should not revolve around pleasing me and then other people pleasing me with what they do say and how they treat me. My new life should revolve around Jesus, what I think about him and what he wants me to be in every circumstance, in every relationship, and in everything I do. That's a big deal, right? And it takes a little bit of time for, for that to work out in us. So God allows us to go through uh, some shifting places. You could call uh, difficult circumstances shifting places. That is, you shift from you to him. And when the pressure comes on, 
you learn, God, I can't do this on my own. Would you help me? And it, it helps us uh, yield ourselves. We'll talk more about that. I mentioned this last week or uh, last time. Uh, Smith Wigglesworth, an uh, English evangelist of yesteryear, died in 1947. All of me, he said, all of me, then there's none of God. Less of me, more of God. And then he said, none of me, all of God. So that's a, you know, it, it, it's, it's a pattern. It's a flow. And it takes time. Dietrich Bonhoeffer um, uh, mentioned this, who died as a martyr in 1945 in, in Nazi Germany when God calls a man. I think it was 1943 when he died. When God calls a man, he bids him come and die. And, and what he's talking about is dying to self-interests, dying to being the center of my world and, and really coming alive and letting Jesus be the center of all I am and do. So that brings me to point number three tonight, and we'll exhaust this point tonight sometimes. And it's similar to point two, but it's got a different nuance. God allows us. Let me say it another way. It is his plan for us to go through a hard place. So, so why am I saying it that way? Because there are times in life that it doesn't make rhyme or reason as to why you're experiencing the pressure that you're experiencing at the moment. And we all have phases of life. If you're a parent, you've got the pressures of, of parenting and the lack of time and the lack of sleep and the adjustment of, of, of meeting somebody else's needs when you don't feel like it. I read a book in 1984, before we had our first child, and that Arthur, I said, put the book down. In fact, I might have thrown it down. And he said this, he said this, there's a measure of selfishness that will never be removed from your life until you have children. How many parents can witness to that? Because in the middle of the night, three o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the afternoon, you're at work, you got to take care of that baby. That child has got to happen. So that can be a good, uh, good thing too. So anyway, hard places in life, we're sent into them for the purpose of training. Your hard place may be your job, it may be your boss, it may be your spouse, it may be your children, it may be just circumstances. You just may be in a malaise and you don't know why. And have you ever been there? You can't put your finger on it, but you're just, just disgruntled. And, and you know, uh, some, sometimes, I know it sounds strange, but sometimes when you get there, God's just, you know, if you could see him, he's saying, come here. I just want you to come here. And if you left everything stable, you wouldn't move. But because you feel the, you feel the burn of the moment, it's like, I've got to do something, right? And how many have had that happen to you? We all have. I feel like there's some people in the room, you're experiencing that right now. You know, in 1985, um, I, had a, I still have a habit of walking. I'll probably go home after, believe it or not, tonight before we go to bed and walk for two miles, probably. But I pray, and uh, so I've been walking and praying all my life. And um, um, January of 1985, I, I mentioned this in this series. Let me say it again. It was a cold January night in Tulsa, Oklahoma. The stars were shining. The moon was, you know, crescent moon. And I looked up in the sky, and I could smell. There's a certain grass in Oklahoma you could smell winter or summer. And I could smell that grass. I still remember that grass. I said, wow, I didn't know you could smell it in the winter. And I was walking uh, around a curve. I looked up in the sky, and the Lord spoke to me inside of me. He said, Mitch, you're going through a test. The first thing I thought, well, I don't want to go through that. But he told me, he said, you're going through a test. And um, I knew it intuitively. I was praying. I was praying in the Spirit. And, um, and uh, he said, uh, and I knew this, it would, um, it would be a financial test. Part of it's financial. Uh, because at the time I had always had a salary, I've always worked really hard and always done well financially and that was that way then as well. And I was on staff uh, uh, at a church and was very happy. Um, Susan had just had our first child. We have four now. They're all grown and raised. Mary got eight grandchildren. Ninth, we'll be here in October. Everybody knows that. So, but life was forming then and I knew I'd go through a hard place. And, and on the end of that, he said, and Mitch, I did not like it. Hopefully, God will never say this to you. He said to me, I'm going to help you deal with pride. Well, hip, hip, hooray. You know, we're to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. And listen, if God's got to help you deal with pride, let me just tell you from firsthand experience, you got a problem with pride. So he just said, let me give you a hand with the pride. Well, I didn't know what he meant by that. Uh, but it took three years. Let me say this. See, that was in 1985. 
And that test began in 1988. God gave me three years to get ready. And I thought, probably thought about this every day. In fact, this book right here is 38 years old, 38 and a half. And this was my journal, and now it's online, but this is my original journal. And I started journaling my spiritual life in January of 1985. And what I just said is in this book. And um, uh, anyway, I, I, went, I went through a hard, uh, a hard time, and I, and I wrote it down. So I encourage you to journal when God speaks to you. Um, uh, write it down. So uh, I want to read something out of here. Let me see when I want to do it. Um, so uh, what I was saying was God will speak to you and don't try to, in, in your mind, don't try to figure out when it's going to happen. You won't even know when. See, don't forget that God lives in the eternal and we live in time. God transcends or lives outside of his creation. It's, it, we can't even think of those concepts. They're, they're, they're so large. You, you can't exhaust it. You can't figure it out. God lives outside of his creation, but he's intimate with his creation. That's incredible. Uh, he knows everything about the sun and all of the, the stellar galaxies in the, in the universe uh, 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 millions of light years away. That's, it, I can't think that big, can you? At the same time, he knows you. So I said that to say when God speaks to us, you have to understand he's a spirit and lives in the spirit realm, and, and that is not quantified by time. So when he speaks, you have to leave it alone and when he speaks, he does it for a reason. But what he doesn't want you to do is try to bring it to pass yourself. If he speaks to you inside, what I mean by is by that still small voice that the prophet talked about. He, he talks to us in our spirit person. And you just have an inward perception or an intuition that a certain thing. Sometimes you almost hear words, but it's deep inside. It's a premonition. It's a knowing. And that's what I had. But when that happens, don't try to make it happen. It'll happen when God has planned it for your life. Is that good? Don't forget every day of your life is mapped out from before you were born. Jeremiah was a prophet from his mother's womb. Before he was born, God said to him, I knew you. And he knows you that way. Is that good news? So see, nothing takes God by surprise. So don't feel like, you know, don't, don't get all down in the dumps because things aren't going your way right now. Yeah, you could be right in the middle of the will of God and he's seeking to mold something into you. Yes or no? So anyway, it seems as though God will allow you to experience him. This is from my notes. And be used by him and then he will lead you through a refinement process. You know, God called me uh, to be a pastor in February of 1977. I changed career paths, changed, uh, I changed college courses. I went, uh, stopped the college I was attending and uh, began attending Bible college the following uh, fall. And, and so my career path changed, and I, I didn't know how I was going to uh, be used as in ministry as a pastor or when that would happen. Uh, but um, uh, as I got into that, I began to teach his word and got on staff at a large church in Oklahoma for a while. And, and you know, God uh, let me experience the anointing of the Holy Spirit uh, the anointing to preach, the anointing to teach, the anointing to really minister and pray for people. And, and you know, that's really, if, if you're a young person and you experience that one time, uh, you, you can never be the same. Uh, you can never, once you have the touch of God, th there is nothing in life that is like Him. Huh? Now, I used to be on drugs as a teenager. You smoke a lot of pot, I get really high. And then I would take, you know, different kinds of drugs and stuff. And I know what it's like to be high. But when I came to Jesus and the Spirit of God hit me for the first time, it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What is this? Whoa, whoa. This ain't the flesh. This is something so inside me I can't escape it. I can't get away from it. And it's wonderful. So he'll let you experience that. And then once you experience him, he'll say, now we've got to have some refining. There's got to be a refinement process. Or you may try to do what I want you to do with you still in the center of your life, and you're going to mess it up. So let's help you out a little bit. So he takes you through a process of refinement, and those refinement processes are called tests and trials. So the next part of my notes, I, I actually underlined this. Um, in fact, before I get to that, let me say this. Someone said what life finds in you determines what life does to you. Think about it what life finds in you 
determines what life does to you. So sometimes we can't control the circumstances we find ourselves in. And then how we deal with those circumstances is determined by what's inside. Is that right? So, so God will sometimes allow your comfortable, and I'm going to use this term nest, and you'll see why in a minute, to be stirred. Uh, Exodus 19, and I've got several passages that say the same thing. Um, God does to us what a mother eagle does to the little baby eaglets in the nest, high, uh, maybe a, 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 up to a mile high on the crag of a huge mountain, all right? Um, and so he did this with the Israelites. Here's Exodus 19, right out from uh, 400 years of Egyptian bondage, just a few days past their being set free through um, through the Red Sea. In the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai, which was a mountain. They had departed from Rephidim, had come to the wilderness of Sinai, and camped in the wilderness. And so, so Israel camped there before the mountain. Moses went up to God. The Lord called him from the mountain, saying, Thus shall you say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. And he says, How I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Obviously referring back, you know, they, they had been in Egypt for 400 years. And they, uh, the Egyptians were harsh taskmasters. They basically built the Egyptian kingdom. All their stately buildings and nice things uh, were built by the slaves, the, the uh, Israelite slaves. And they, and they cried out to God, set free. And he's talking about here, uh, what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. I'm going to, talk, I'm going to explain this in detail in a minute. There, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. I add, this wasn't in my notes, was it? I added this, right? Okay, I'm good. Uh, For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and holy nation. Uh, these are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. I love what he said. You shall be a special treasure to me. You know, God's plan for the Israelites was that he, would to know, he was to know them closely, intimately. He wanted to be their father. He wanted them to be his sons and daughters. But they got so afraid of the presence of God at the base of Mount Sinai. When, when Moses went up, you know, he came back down and his face glowed. They said, we want you to talk to that, that God you met up there because he scares the bejeebies out of us. And, and they rejected God's plan to be a special treasure above all people and for him to know them individually. And, uh, and they, instead of being kings and priests themselves, they elected a king and God never wanted them to have one. Nonetheless, it's a big story. So he says, I bore you on eagle's wings um, and brought you to myself. That's also that pattern is mentioned. Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy is a summarization of what God did uh, to the Israelites and with the Israelites and in Deuteronomy 32, uh, for the peace people of Israel, verse 9, belong to the Lord Jacob, or Israel is his special possession. He found them in a desert, in an empty, howling wasteland. They came out of Egypt, and they literally wandered almost, uh, well, in a circle for almost 40 years because of unbelief, the Old Testament says. And uh, it says, he surrounded them, watched over them. He guarded them as he would guard his own eyes, like an eagle that rouses her chicks and hovers over her young. This is New Living Translation. So he spread his wings to take them up and carried them safely on his pinions. So both of these passages, Exodus 19, Deuteronomy 32, talk about an eagle and how an eagle deals with a baby eaglet. And God said to the Israelites, the way the eagle deals with its children is the way I'm going to deal with you. And here's what the eagle does. You've heard me share this, but it bears repeating when we're talking about tests and trials. Uh, the eagle makes his nest high up on the mountain crag and, uh, and um, you know, brings twigs and sticks, makes the big nest. And then once he's made the big nest, puts some leaves and such in the bottle, and then it begins to pick the down. The eagle mother picks the down feathers from her breast, puts it in the puts it in the bottom and so when the she has the eggs and the baby eaglets hatch they're hatched in a, a in a in a feathered nest and everything they need is at their disposal at all times mama goes away during the day and um and and finds food for them 
and picks the meat apart and individually with her beak drops the meat into the open mouth of each of the little baby eaglets and the life could not be better and life is wonderful and they're cackling and having a good time and mommy comes and lands on the on the nest and feeds them all day and they're getting bigger 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 but the day comes that mama goes berserk and mama's sitting on the side of the nest baby eagles are growing and and actually they're growing a good bit and they begin to develop their, their, their feathers and such, and their wings are beginning to molt, and they're, you know, becoming larger eagles, and she knows the time will come that she can't feed them all that they need, and they will eventually die unless she does something that seems to be so cruel. Uh, the little baby eagles are so happy to see mama, they jump up on the side of the nest when she comes to feed them, and instead of feeding them, she's already eaten all of the food. And she looks at the baby eagles one at a time and takes her beak and knocks them off of the side of the nest, and they plummet to the ground. Uh, you know, and gravity's taking effect and they're going to die unless something happens. And so before they hit the ground and because they could be up to a mile high on the crag of a mountain, they're plummeting to earth. She scoops, swoops down really fast, faster than they're falling. And she grabs them on her back and they grab a hold of the feathers on her back. She brings them back up to the nest and she does that each eaglet one at a time. They get up there and they're thinking, mama, why did you do that? You went berserk only to have her do it again. Car whop. And she, there it goes again, you know? And she does the same thing, you know, uh, dives back down, grabs the baby eagle, goes back up to the nest and just repeats the process. And you know, the little baby eagle, if you were the a baby eagle, you think mama went cuckoo. She must have had some loco weed. You know, when I was in Ethiopia, they had this stuff called loco weed. And one of our, I'm getting off a little bit, but uh, one of our drivers, one of our drivers had ingested some loco weed, which was a, a grass that grew and it, you know, actually caused hallucinations. And he was acting squirrely one day. And we liked to kick his tail when we found out he was eating loco weed. So maybe mama had some loco weed. You know, what happened to mama? And they didn't realize if mama didn't push him off the edge of the nest, they would never develop the wings in their, on their, the uh, muscles in their wings. They would never be able to flap their wings and soar a mile high like mama. And, and they wouldn't be able to gather their own food and they would eventually die. So sometimes the nice feathery place in life, you think it's comfortable, life could not be better, but sometimes that's the worst thing for you because you stop growing. How many hear what I just said? Now, you know, as a young man, you know, I'd, I, you know, I graduated high school when I was 16 and, and by, by 18, I've come to Jesus by uh, 20, I finished my 21. I finished my first Bible school, went to second Bible school, uh, got in ministry when I was like 22, whatever. And so, you know, started young in ministry and, and, you know, Susan, and I started having babies in 1984, had four of them and, and, you know, life was good. I was able to buy a nice home and we had cars and homes and, and life was just good. And then God spoke to me, see, and, and just basically said, you're going through a hard place. And it's just like the mama eagle saying, baby, if I leave you where you are, you're going to die. If, I, if life is feathery, if life is wonderful, if everything's plush, if you only have what you want, that you'll never develop the character that you need. And see, that's the, you got to understand that's the way God is. So, you know, I love every single person I'm looking over the congregation that I see tonight. And the Lord does too. And if you're watching, I can't see you, but the Lord loves you. But you got to realize sometimes the tests are the best thing that could ever, ever happen to you. And without the tests, you would never develop. Just like the baby eaglet. Without the baby eaglet being catapulted from his feathery, wonderful home, he would never grow. And without us going through the challenges of life, what do the challenges of life do? They give us an opportunity to put the Word of God into uh, uh, to work in our life. How many understand that? So God took me, for instance, out of my comfortable nest when I was uh, uh, 32 years old, started a church in South Carolina. This little book right here, I wanted to read something. Now, I will not let you read this book. I'd fight you over this book, by the way. But here's July 2nd, 1990. It was a Monday. And at July 2nd, 1990, I had not yet turned 32. I was actually 31. 
Uh, and so here it is. And here's what I said at 31 years of age, almost 32. I think I finally learned a valuable lesson about life. Well, hello, 31 years old. Uh, your mental ideas about how things work out and how they work out are two entirely different things. That's revelation for a 31-year-old. I thought, and I was in a traveling ministry, I thought it would come fast. I thought, then I put, I thought, underline period. Uh, when God speaks, it doesn't happen tomorrow afternoon. It takes time, and you have an opportunity to exercise, and I use a Greek word, hupomene, which means endurance or the ability to remain under pressure. Uh, I have been enduring a severe trial. And then I listed, and I won't read everything in this, but this was the lowest day to date of my life. And I was not yet 32. And so I call this the lowest, the worst day of my life as an almost 32-year-old. And it was a failure day for me. And I wrote in my notes, and I have an addendum to each one, uh, I failed as a man. I failed as a father. I failed as, because I had three children at the time. I failed as a minister. Um, I failed as a husband. So I failed in all the major areas of my life that I esteemed as a man. And I wrote it in my journal that I am a failure. And uh, wow. And then, and then, and then, so that was July 2nd, 1990. And then here's Tuesday, July 17th, 1990. And here's what I said. This is the most severe trial I have endured to date in my life. We walk by faith and not by sight is a reality. I do believe. Here's what, and, and I didn't realize what I was saying. I do believe the Lord is pruning me right now and preparing us for future ministry. And that's prophetic. I had no idea what, uh, what, what would happen. Uh, so short of it was, and I don't have time, to get into the weeds of it, except to say during that extreme time of change in duress, when I had moved back from Oklahoma to South Carolina to start a church, uh, and, um, uh, and failure day came, and that's when God began to deal with pride and my trust in anything other than Him for money. You gotta trust God with everything. And, and, and if you've got something you're leaning on, that doesn't have Jesus touch on it, he'll take it away and show you that he is your source in every possible way. So financially did that. And then pride was a big deal for me. And uh, so he went, took me through a process. Uh, ministry, let me say this, ministry became an idol to me as a 31-year-old. I had to be in ministry. It was so important to me uh, because God had called me. And, you know, uh, you, you can be in ministry and, uh, and ministry becomes an idol. Or you can be a volunteer. You can be one of our servant leaders here at church, a volunteer here on our serve team. And, and that becomes so important to you. You lose focus of who Jesus is in your life and, and, and where that fits in the scheme of life. How many hear what I'm saying? So your identity becomes in that. My identity, identity became as a man of God and not as, as Mitch Horton, who is a father, who is a husband who is a provider, and then lastly, a minister. Uh, before that even, just, just a believer who loves Jesus. See, so you gotta focus, and God knows how to bring your focus back. So ministry was an idol. I mentioned this last time I became a workaholic. A workaholic, and a lot of men deal with this, and I think women do too. A workaholic gets his good sense of self-satisfaction out of, out of something he, he or she does. And if you can never be satisfied without doing something, something's wrong with you. I'm just telling you straight up because that was me. And God had to deliver me from workaholic tendencies. You can be an alcoholic where you're, you, you drink or binge drink, but you can be a workaholic where you just got to work all the time and you never take a break, and that was me. I would not be alive today had God not brought me through a process. He brought me through kicking me out of my feathered nest and making life quite uncomfortable. So while I was in the middle of that, I'd raised up a church and turned it back over to someone. At this point when I read all that, I was in a traveling ministry. And, and, and you know, I was, uh, I was, you know, they say for every hundred doors you knock on, five people will smile at you. Well, I might have had four smile at me because I was doing phone calls and, you know, mailers and all that. And there's not anybody that doesn't know you about ready to let you in their pulpit to preach. So I found that out in a hard way. Anyway, it was a hard place. But you know what? I wouldn't take 
There's no amount of money that you can pay and there's no school you can go to uh, that will do for you what the school of hard knocks through the through the crucible of life, through the, through the crushing places of life will do for you. And I'm saying that, and I, f- I feel the Holy Spirit when I'm saying it. If you're having a hard place and you're having a hard time tonight and you don't like where you are and you don't like how you're being treated and you don't like this and you're upset about that and then, then whatever, you know, we're all there at times. Go somewhere and get by yourself and say, God, help me. And during this time, listen, I I took a lot of long walks and said, God, I I don't understand why you're doing this. I I don't get what you're doing because something's going on here, but it's way beyond my understanding. And I didn't understand the I didn't understand the eagle process, the mother eagle process. But God literally had to kick me out of my comfortable nest. And I look back on that. That was uh, 33 years ago this month. And uh, there, there is no way I could do what I'm doing now if I hadn't have gone through that. And that's really important. So let me also mention this. Jesus was led into a hard place. Everybody good? Uh, Matthew 4, 1. Matthew and Luke record the same thing. So let me read a couple of translations. New Living Translation of Matthew 4, 1. Jesus was led by the Spirit, led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Or you could say it this way. Jesus was led by the Spirit into a hard place. Did you know sometimes God will lead you into a hard place? Well, why would you do that, God? Same reason the mother eagle will knock the baby eagle off the nest. Same reason, to develop you so you stand in your own two spiritual feet. Uh, Luke, um, uh, Passion Translation of Matthew 4, 1. Afterward, the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the lonely wilderness in order to reveal his strength against the accuser by going through the ordeal of testing. That's really good. Uh, Let me say it again. Jesus... uh, The Holy Spirit led Jesus into the lonely wilderness in order to reveal his strength against the accuser by going um, through the ordeal of testing. Luke 4, 1 and 2, Jesus, the New Living Translation, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing at that time and became very hungry. Passion Translation from the moment of his baptism, Jesus was overflowing with the Holy Spirit. He was taken by the Spirit from the Jordan into the lonely wilderness of Judea to experience the ordeal of testing by the accuser for 40 days. He ate no food during that time and ended his 40-day fast very hungry. So say Jesus again was led on purpose into a hard place. And you say, well, God, that ain't fair. Well, he loves you. You know, your mom and daddy... Uh, uh, put the spoon into your hand so you can feed yourself. They made you start putting your britches on yourself, your shirt on yourself. You had to start bathing yourself, brushing, brushing your teeth yourself. And aren't you glad they did? And now you can help your children as they, as they come along, et cetera, et cetera. So again, Jesus was led into a hard place and God sometimes on purpose will lead us into a hard place. Hebrews 5, 8 is so insightful, New Living Translation. Even though Jesus, I don't think it's in the notes, even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. Now see, this is circumstantial suffering. So you got to understand that, that God uses every single thing that comes into our life, the good and the bad, to develop us, train us. And the way it develops us a us is it it takes us out of the center of our world and we have to begin to focus not on us but on him and then he and if we'll put his word into practice when we're going through the hard place how many know we'll get out we'll come through it a different person yes or no and so exodus 13 i'm almost done here exodus 13 17 this is uh Anyway, it's so insightful and, and so just like the Lord. Exodus 13, 17, then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the, pe- let the people go, watch this, that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although it was near. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war, and they returned to Egypt. So God led the people around by way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. There was a quicker way to the promised land. There was a quicker way, but God saw that these people were not ready to fight the Philistines. They weren't tempered enough. 
to hang in there when their going got tough and the enemy raised up against them. So he took them around another path. And so you may be wondering, and see, I feel it in my heart. You may be here wondering, why, why does it seem like right now God's put me on the shelf? Why am, I, why am I going through this? Why don't I just start doing this right now? Because you're not ready. And let me just, when I read this scripture, Susan and I have had, so many conversations over our evening meal over the years since all this happened. We went from Tulsa, Oklahoma to a little small town in South Carolina. Tulsa, at the time we lived there, had a population of 500,000. And uh, so we went to, a, in our church we were in, had about uh, up to almost 5,000. We went to a city of 6,000 people. Ah, <laughs> that's tough to start a church. And then we stayed, did that a few years, and then I was in the traveling ministry, and now we've been here since, well, this year will be, um, um, how long? Yeah, 29 years. Next year will be uh, 30 years. Uh, and we've had so many conversations. Why, why, did God, why didn't God just tell us to go from Tulsa to right here? Tulsa to Raleigh. That had just been great because we raised our kids here and all that, came here in 1994. Well, why do we have to go that way? Just the same reason that, the Israelites had to, had to go way around the wilderness way instead of the straight path to the promised land. So you may wonder why you have the job you have, why you're in the city you are, why you're in the house you are, why you have the job you have, why you're in the position you have. It's God's purpose to help you develop, but you won't develop unless you seek God's suck rug, get in the Word, and put His Word into practice in your life in the middle of it. And if you will do that, you will come through. And so let me... Uh, ends then this by saying hard places. Kenneth Hagin used to say this. Hard places are God's methods of taking us to deeper places in him. Think about it. So, you know, now, let me just, for me, uh, so 33 years ago was one of the most challenging times of my life. And of course, I read it in my, from my journal. But, you know, the last five years, I'm telling you right now, um, I've wanted to whoop something. <laughs> it's been so hard. You know, we've been building this building for five years, for those that don't know, and it's been really challenging. There's times I want to take matters in my own hands. Let me do this right now. And we've had challenge after challenge, and it, I, I don't know if I said it here, but I said it to somebody the other day. It's almost been like um, you're going up this incline that's really, really steep, uh, uh, and, and there's a rope on top. Somebody's thrown it. It's a big a big, uh, a big rope, and, and you're grabbing hold, and every step, you got to pull yourself up. That's what it's felt like for five years. And uh, I look back, and now I look at who I am now and how I deal with issues, and, uh, you know, there's something in me I didn't have five years ago. So I wouldn't want to go back through the ordeal of building this building in this COVID time, but you know what? God did something big in me, and, and I've asked him to help me continue to work. How many understand that? So I know what you're facing, but I'm telling you, God will work things in you. I've had uh, two times in my life that were poignant moments. Uh, one time was in 1983. I was uh, in a church in Tulsa. I was actually janitor. I went from being a Bible school person to a janitor in a local church and uh, from being a, a night manager in a grocery store to being a janitor in a church. And and I was just so aggravated. Uh, we had I had 60 toilets to clean. That church had 60 toilets. That's a lot of toilets. That's a lot of nasty. And I used to have the phrase, God's nasty people. <laughs> I won't say any more than that. But um, I was belly aching one day. And uh, just frustrated because I was doing that because I wanted to be out preaching and pastoring and ministering to people and stuff. And I was doing that to a degree on the side. But um, I just, I was belly aching one day, squabbing that toilet, cleaning that thing. I say, God, you know, I, I, I didn't go to all this school and stuff to do this right here. And I just had a knowing, you know what? You might get to do this the rest of your life if you don't change your attitude. I said, well, well, well praise God. And, and I, I stewed in it for a few weeks. Honestly, I was that way for a few weeks. And one day I was in the bathroom cleaning those toilets, and I said, God, you know, you know what? You know what? Okay, you win. If you want me to do this the rest of my life, I'll do it with a smile. I'll be the best toilet scrubber the kingdom of God's ever had. And if you got toilets in heaven, I'll clean them too. 
and I meant it. And you know what? It wasn't long after that, ministry opened up. And actually, a ministry position at that church opened up. It was the first one I ever had in my whole life, and I was like 25, I think. And then the second time, I was I, you've heard me say this before, I was uh, uh, in a traveling ministry, and I augmented my income. God led me to start a, a redecoration paint wallpaper business, and we got really, really busy, and I had to hire a bunch of people and stuff, and uh, I was on top of a ladder. And um, it was uh, in July, it was hot. I think that day was 97 degrees. And I had a, I had a big mask on and I had a, a grinder in my hand and we had some, uh, some really hard paint that we were grinding off the uh, out exterior of an old house. We were redoing the paint, paint on it. And it was just the nastiest mess you've ever seen. And I was white from head to toe except where the mask was, you know. And, and that looked like skin. The rest of me looked like a, you know, like a Eskimo or something. But uh, anyway, I'm up there grinding, and it's plastered to me. I'm sweating. I'm aggravated. Life is awful. I'm thinking, I've been trained for ministry. I've had the anointing of God on me, and all I got on me is nasty right now. What is going on with this mess? And uh, and the same thing that happened, you know, in 1983. This was 19. Uh, 90, um, yeah, this was 1993. And I said, God, you know, you know what? I, I, I was grinding away, upset, mad, and angry. Why am I here? What am I doing? And I had headphones in. And, uh, and, and I was so upset. I was so forlorn. Felt like the Lord had forsaken me. I was making money in my business, but I wasn't in ministry. And the enemy was trying to convince me my best days were behind me. You ever had those days in your life? See, those days are test days. Those are, are being knocked off the nest days. If you've never had those days, you will have them one day. Make the best of them. Steve Green was a Christian singer at the time. And he had a song on an FM radio station I was listening to. And here's what came on. And this song broke me. And God used it to break me. Uh, and then something changed inside me. If the struggle you're facing is slowly replacing your hope with despair. Or the process is long and you're losing your song in the night. You can be sure that the Lord has his hand on you, safe and secure. He will never abandon you. You are his treasure, and he finds his pleasure in you. I began to weep. I put that drill down. I took my mask off. And then he sang the chorus. He who began a good work in you. He who began a good work in you, he'll be faithful to complete it. He'll be faithful to complete it. He who started the work will be faithful to complete it in you. And I broke down. I began to cry. And I say, God, I'm up here on this ladder. I'm not preaching your word. I'm not ministering life like I like to. I'm not doing anything I like. I'm nasty. I'm sweaty. I'm grimy. But you know what? If this is your will for me for the rest of my life, I will do this the rest of my life with a smile if I can just have your presence on my life. Just to know you is worth anything in life. And y'all, something broke. And ministry wasn't the same. I didn't have to do it. Didn't have to be somebody. I didn't have to have an image. I didn't have to be busy. I didn't have to have an image. I just had to have him. And if you get to the point in life where you are, that you just need him. It's a big grow-up day. And the little eagle somehow his little muscles have grown. And then mama can trust him and she'll throw him off the edge of that nest one more time. And instead of falling to the ground, he'll flap his wings and fly. And that's what God wants you to do. So my encouragement is 
take advantage of the hard place because God may be treating you the way that the mother eagle treats his young. Bow your heads. The Lord, thank you for your word. Wow. Lord, I, I just pray for every one of us that we would see the greater purpose to life right now. Uh, we have old, young, middle-aged in the room. Some of us have finished our careers. Others are beginning. Others are in the middle of it. Some of us have our families completed. Others are in the middle of their families growing and all that. Right where we are, Lord, I, I submit us to you. And while I'm praying, would you submit yourself to the Lord? And just make some consecrations now. Maybe you end them later. Lord, the aggravations of life, the frustrations we find ourselves in, these are places of growth if we'll allow them to be. So, Lord, work in us in the name of Jesus in a fresh way, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in us will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. The path of the just is as a shining light that shines brighter and brighter. You will perfect, bring to completion that which concerns us. I pray for adjustments necessary mentally, emotionally, relationally, spiritually in every life. In the name of Jesus, thank you, sir. Thank you for your hand of love being on us. Thank you for taking us through the challenge, just like you took Jesus through the wilderness in Jesus' name.